You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Boy, I really appreciate you guys being here tonight. It's cold outside and you've, you're in the middle of your week and Wednesdays are never fun. And the fact that you've made the effort to be here really means a lot to me. Just so I can give him credit. Who here has, who has been here all three nights? Uh, they, they, the rest of you need to give him a hand. They've been representing. I know you've had classes and other things going on, but uh, they've been representing. And I really, I really appreciate your being here. That means a lot. So it seems to help me if I keep reviewing where we've been and then I can talk just a minute about where we're going to. Uh, so we started Monday morning uh, in those first seven chapters of Leviticus and we looked at the sacrificial system and what it teaches us about proximity versus proficiency when we're talking about our relationship with God. And we've been kind of pairing these thoughts from Leviticus with the 12 steps of recovery. And the first two steps just seem to fit so well together with the principle you learn from the sacrificial system. And that is that I, I'm discovering that I um, am powerless to control my circumstances. Um, that my life has become unmanageable. That was certainly the case for the Israelites. It was it's like there was no amount of sacrifice that could make it all right. They were constantly having to beat the path back to the tent of meeting to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Step two is I uh, discovered that I, I need a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. The Israelites' one hope was, the, was the, um, the grace and the mercy of God. So they had to realize over and over again as they beat that path back to the tent of meeting that there is a God and they aren't it. Do you remember Monday morning we asked you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not God? Let's just because we have... So we're humans and we have amnesia. Will you just do that again? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not God. <laughs> yeah. So then, the, then Monday night, we, we talked about, we, we looked at uh, Leviticus 9 and 10, and, or 8 and 9, 8 and 9 and, or 9 and 10. I don't know why I can't remember. Anyway, we looked at two chapters in Leviticus that said, that told us the story of Ad uh, Nadab and Abihu. They were the sons of Aaron. They had just been consecrated as priests. And, and, uh, and, they, and they, 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 they took a shortcut. They did something to short-circuit the process that a priest needs to take in order to present holy fire. And so it, it was unauthorized fire that they presented. And they, got Im they were immediately killed because God was not going to let that become part of the DNA so early in the system and so it, it, we, we learned from that that, um, that if you're going to carry holy fire, you can't short-circuit the, the process. There's a process to healing. There's a process to taking authority. There's a process to coming into the presence of God, and it's not ours to short-circuit the process. He is holy. He is holy. So we are to be holy because he is holy. And we connected that with... Step three, which, um, which says we, we made a decision to turn our will over to the power of Jesus, who can restore you to sanity. 
So for those of you who feel insane, the good news is Jesus has got your brain, okay? You can be restored. You can be restored. Um, and then yesterday morning, um, we kind of, or no, last night, Tuesday night, we did sort of a bridge between three and four. We got ourselves ready for, for what happened here this morning um, by looking at those bizarre chapters, Leviticus 11 through 15, and um, where all these meticulous little rules about um, skin disease and the things you can eat and not eat, whether fish have scales or don't have scales, whether animals have hooves or don't have hooves, and all those, all those tiny little detailed things. And the, you know, the priest is going to look at your scab and see if there's a white hair in it or black hair in it, and, either, and that'll determine whether you're clean or unclean. It just seemed like, like, what is the point here? And what we pulled out of that is that God is in the details. Which means there is nothing in your life too small for God to care about. He cares about, Jesus told us, right? Jesus pulled this right into the New Testament when he said that he knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. The psalmist says he knew you before you were, uh, when you, when, from the moment of your conception, even before that, he knew you. And, he is, and there's no place you can go that's beyond his Reach, God is in the details. And if it's true, what the world tells us, that the devil is in the details, well, God is there too. And he's working them out with you, and he's, his intention is to, to, to bring victory even in the details of your life. And then this morning, how cool was this morning? You guys are amazing. Thank you, thank you for responding as you did. Thank you. Man, these are just... We were saying a little while ago, a couple of us were taking pictures and saying, oh, it's so beautiful. And then I stopped and said, this is people's crap up here. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's so pretty. I love the colors. So, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> but there's something to that, right? That my junk is really gross when it's hanging on me. But my junk is beautiful when it's hanging on Jesus. <laughs> you know? So this morning was really, really glorious. And uh, I woke up this morning. I got up at 5.30. I was so excited. I just knew. I just, I knew you guys would come through for Jesus and me. Thank you. So I know that you know because you guys go to an historically Christian college. So many of you follow Jesus so beautifully. I've talked to some of you about that call on your life. I know, and especially if you came to the evening sessions, you're, a, you're that person. You know Leviticus well enough to know there are this whole other part of Leviticus where they talk about sexual purity laws. And you're wondering if I'm going to get to that. Um, about all the people you can and cannot sleep with. If I were you, I'd be wondering that. <laughs> When's she going to get to that part? Because that's the really interesting part. <laughs> and so that makes Leviticus famous, but also controversial. And in a way, I'm going to tell you that we're going to get there tonight, but the answer is not going to be probably what you're hoping it's going to be. I'm not going to tell you what's right and wrong. I'm just going to tell you where to go. <laughs> if we were really studying them, we'd be looking at chapters 17 through 22. And yes, there is a whole chapter on who not to sleep with. It gets really specific, and in the context of our design, it teaches us that we weren't designed for things like same-sex behavior. 
But wow, it gets so much more graphic than that. It also tells you not to sleep with your mom or your sister or your uncles, whatever. I mean, it goes into incredible detail about who you're not supposed to sleep with. We're told um, not to, don't, you know, don't sleep with your parents. Don't, uh, um, so many things. But what's, what's worth noticing here, and listen, this is kind of, what's noticing here is that somebody ever had to be told that. Like, <laughs> somebody couldn't intuit the fact that you shouldn't sleep with your parents. They had to be told, which gives you a huge, like, insight into what was going on when this was written and some things never change and some things never change because my brother slept with me when I was too small to know what he was doing so you look at this stuff and you say man that's just crazy but I'm going to tell you right now you are surrounded by people who had all manner of weirdness happening in their lives when they were little and maybe for some of you, it's you. I want to tell you, if that's you, there is joy to be had in this life. You are not an eternal victim. Jesus redeems everything. And you can love and be loved. You can dance up here like when worship happens and not care what anybody's thinking, you can be at peace with your body. I want to tell you, Jesus can redeem it. But this is one of those chapters where like that was then, this is now. God knows how bizarrely we can contort ourselves if we're not in close enough proximity to feel his breath to experience his healing power. So the answer to your sexual brokenness, whether it's somebody who abused you as a child or a porn addiction that you got up from to get here tonight, I want you to hear that the answer to that is not another set of rules. That's why we're not going to spend hours talking about them. The answer to that is intimacy with Jesus. So this is the owner's manual, written by the designer of our bodies. He felt the need, based on what he knows about how our brains work, to tell us how not to use our bodies to hurt ourselves or other people. The problem with the Israelites was that even long after their bodies were out of Egypt, their minds were still enslaved. And in that way, they were sort of like a dry drunk. Have you heard that term, dry drunk? So a dry drunk is someone who managed to stop drinking and even stay sober over time, but they still got the brain of a drunk person. Still, still uh, fantasizing about the next drink or the, ne or the place they can go where nobody's looking. Or, or they've just transferred their drinking addiction to food or their porn addiction to uh, relationship addiction. So that, they may be sober, but they have the mind of a drunk. All the old emotions, all the old cravings, all the old behavior is still there. So their bodies left Egypt, but their minds are still back there. And that's why some of this stuff in Leviticus is important. The guy who wrote it knows that their 
bodies had gotten out of slavery, but their minds were still there. Does this make sense to y'all? Yeah. So think of it like a pie that's cut into several pieces. Our behavior is one piece of the pie. And for an addict, chemical addiction or porn addiction or food addiction or, or anyone who's trying to outrun any kind of brokenness, whether it's, even if it's an eating disorder of some kind, that, that can be a big piece of your pie. But for an addict to get sober, you know, that's, that's a big deal. For someone to deal with sexual brokenness is a tough thing. But that's not the whole pie. That's not your whole life. That's not your identity. That's not everything that makes up you. There's all kinds of other things. There's a lot more to our lives than that. And there's also what happens on the inside, how we process life, who we trust, who becomes God for us, the health of our relationships, our outlook on life, all, all pieces of the pie. So in other words, transformation is not just, I'm going to fix this one thing and the rest of me will be fine. No, that, that's where we miss it. We just want to check the behavior change box or the I'm a good person box, but we miss the heart level change, the relational change, the spiritual change. And that's the big problem with focusing in on the rules in Leviticus without examining the heart, the gentle heart of a good and loving father that is behind them. So out in the desert between Israel, excuse me, Egypt and the promised land, the Israelites mostly functioned like dry drunks. <laughs> They'd been set free. They had the choice of a freedom mindset. He had placed before them a hope and a future. Look, there's a promised land, milk and honey. He taught them uh, the behavior of a free person. He gave them these laws that were in harmony with their created design. And he painted for them this vision of community life built on love and mutual respect. But like any good dry drunk, they responded with resentment and regret. Why don't you just take us back to Egypt, they'd say. <laughs> I mean, at least there we knew where our next meal was coming from. So they found themselves with the fire of God leading them forward, actually craving the old life. Fear, fearful of failure, churning in anxiety, angry, selfish, all the old feelings. Spiritually dry drunks. Because as it turns out, to be taken out of slavery doesn't automatically make a person free. Let me say that again because somebody's taking a note. To be taken out of slavery doesn't automatically make a person free. So listen, I can be in the desert with Egypt behind me and still have the mind of a slave. Freedom is a transformation we have to choose, and it's pervasive. It frees all of me. So man, I, I can attest there is Freedom in Christ. Real freedom. Nothing he cannot heal you from. Nothing he cannot save you from. Nothing he cannot extract you from. Waiting for your face to catch up with how happy you are inside. About to sneeze. Transformation happens. This is how it happens. 
Transformation doesn't happen just because I get up close and personal with the rules. Transformation happens when I get up close and personal with the God who wrote them. So it's all about proximity to God. We've, you've been hearing this all week. It's all about proximity to God. We find wholeness and holiness not by going through the motions, but by virtue of our proximity to God. Do you remember what we said about that constant return to the tent of meeting that required by the sacrificial system, all these offerings made over and over and over, this constant recalibration of the soul, constant reorientation toward God, all designed to put us in direct relationship with him, in proximity to him. That's the good side effect of the Israelites having to go back to the temple or the, the tabernacle over and over and over again, having to go back to the altar. They could never get very far from that admission of who their God was. The decision to sub submit to the Jewish sacrificial system was a decision to go back to the altar over and over to be reminded day after day after day of who God is. And by acknowledging who God is, I have to acknowledge everything that isn't God in me. That's only been a diversion from my relationship with God. That's the point of the 11th step of the 12 steps. So after you do all this fearless and searching moral inventory, after you've combed through your life and found every place where there's unforgiveness, where, there's, uh, where all the things, the brokenness, the pain, things people have done to me, as well as things I've done to other people, as well as, as we talked this morning, unintentional sins, think, ways people may have unintentionally harmed me and didn't even know it. You comb through all of that. You clean it all out. And then after that, the 11th step, we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with Jesus, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So if we could locate that idea in Leviticus, it would probably be in Leviticus 19.30, that, that, this, this little Verses repeated a couple of times, but the first time you find it is in chapter 19. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. In other words, rest in me and notice where I live in the tabernacle I've set up in your heart because I want to be God for you. It's a call to learn the voice of God to practice the presence of God, to develop and pursue intimacy, God, and then, then to let that intimacy answer the cravings that we've been trying to fill with cheap substitutes. So my good friends, and I do count you all as some of my best friends in the world because we've been together for what feels like two months now. <laughs> I want you to hear this. I'm not interested in what kind of junk you have in your life tonight. I'm not interested in what kind of broken thing you can't seem to get over. I'm good with it. I just want you to get close to Jesus so that Jesus can make you a little less interested in your junk and a little more interested in him. 
There's no shame in Christ. I just want you to get close to Jesus. And it took me so long to get there. I didn't get healing from my brother wound until I was in my late 30s. I think it was 38. Don't wait. Don't wait. I didn't get sober till I was 29. I already had a baby. Don't wait. My husband had a porn addiction the first 12 years of our marriage. I didn't even know it. That's how weird that was for him. And, and he, when we were in seminary across the street, he was using porn. He told me two weeks before Easter one year, he'd been sober 11 years. It's the worst day of my marriage is when my husband told me he'd had a porn addiction, even though it was a lot of years between the last hit and the day he told me it was still like I had no idea. But he told me because we were doing that cardboard testimony thing. You guys seen this? You know, where you write who you used to be on one side of the cardboard, turn it over and write who you are now. And we were going to do that on Easter Sunday, and people were going to walk up and hold their cardboard up in front of the entire congregation. And my husband wanted to hold up a piece of cardboard. The pastor's husband on Easter Sunday wanted to hold up a piece of cardboard that said, I was a porn addict. But what can I do? Because if I'm preaching grace to everybody else in the world, i got to show grace to my husband. So I stood with him that day. But he was in his 40s. Friends, don't wait. Don't wait. It won't get easier. But don't start with the problem. Start with Jesus. Get intimate with Jesus and let Jesus walk you out of slavery. Behavior won't get you there. Jesus will. So I'm going to give you five questions fast, and then we're going to have time for prayer, okay? First, are you among the deep people? Write that down. Are you among the deep people? Which is to say, are you one of the weird ones? Are you one of the ones who's gotten over the fact that nobody's going to kill you? Nobody dies if you say what your problems are. Nobody dies. <laughs> nobody's going to get, um, n- nothing will, things will only get better the day you choose to come clean. And if you choose to be among the deep people who gets up early, who worships freely, who shares your faith with abandon, Man, that just puts you in such a beautiful pool. Richard Foster says the desperate need today is not for a great number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I agree. The Christian world is starving for followers of Jesus who have, inter- who have determined in their lives and in their hearts to go deep. That this is going to be my thing. I am going to pursue spiritual depth. That kind of choice totally changes your trajectory. The day my husband chose to go deep and tell me his sin so he could tell other men without shame, that changed his trajectory. He'll start yet another porn recovery group on February 25th. He's leading other guys out. But he had to tell me first. 
The day I found healing prayer and got complete healing, like can't find a, 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 a wounded spot in me, the day I got healing prayer changed my trajectory. Are you among the deep people? Are you willing to go after it? Go after it. Question number two. Do you thirst for God, uh, for, for time alone with God? I love that in Psalm 42. Um, As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. How... how I, I want to be that guy, you know? Do you thirst for time? Do you thirst for time? Do you know what intimacy with God is about? You know what it means? It means he's right here, that God has, he sat down with us tonight. I can guarantee you God's here tonight. He's not going to leave me standing up here sharing as vulnerably as I am with you tonight and not be here. He loves me. So I can guarantee you that the Holy Spirit sat down in this place tonight. And you are in the room with us, and God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we're so sorry we have ignored you like you're, like you're some kind of potted plant in the corner. While we sit around and talk about you instead of talking to you, God, forgive us for ignoring you and give us the grace and the eyes to see You know, and while we're ignoring God, He's so tenderly caring for us. Here's the most beautiful picture in the book of Revelation about life around the throne of God. Revelation 5, 8. There are all these spiritual beings around the throne worshiping God. And in the midst of them are these bowls. And they're made of gold. And these bowls collect the prayers of the people. And it says, when our prayers hit these bowls, they mix with fire, which in the, in the Bible represents the power of God. And they become like incense that fills the air around God. So he's always surrounded by our prayers, always aware of what is being prayed. How awesome is it to think that really, literally, right now in the throne room, if you prayed today, it is swirling around the head of the most, um, uh, the most powerful being in the universe. I told Greg that they, when they take these down, they need to burn them so they can become prayers. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. I mean, you know how we sometimes say, sometimes it just doesn't feel like my prayers are getting anywhere, and sometimes it just doesn't feel like they go any further than the ceiling. Well, according to what the prophet John saw in his revelation, that's just not true. You might not feel it, but it's just not true. Our prayers are precious. They're being collected in golden bowls, mixing with the power of God. And at the right time, God will tip those bowls and pour out his power and our prayers over the earth. Friends, God hears us. Even if you don't feel like anything is happening in the natural, that when you pray in the spiritual realm, in the presence of God, your prayers are collecting, and at the right time, God is going to pour out over you answers to your deepest uh, desires. Oh, man. So number three, so I, you know, I was going to have to tell you, I never, I never reject an altar call, ever, ever. <laughs> 
because God's prayers matter. I mean, my prayers matter to God. And I'm not going to let one get wasted. So number three, do you, do you use knowledge to keep you at a distance from God? There's a big difference. That was a problem for the Pharisees. You know, 613 laws, but clueless about intimacy with God. So having great theology, knowing the Bible, knowing the character of God, those are great things. But at the end of the day, what most affects us and what is most value is knowing God. Not knowing, not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him. We, we too easily forget the intimacy to which the Father calls us. The daily guidance He promises to give us through deserts and enemy territory. Our Father longs to be present with us. Longs to be Lord over us. Longs to be what we need him to be. How would it change your life if you begin to practice the intimate, constant presence of the Father? You know, there's a Jesus culture song called I Won't Relent. You know the song? One of the lines in that song is so powerful. It's, I, won't, um, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right, I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. This is how God wants us to relate to him, to worship him, to be in his presence, like he's right there. Moses said it to the Israelites. It's not like it's over a mountain so you have to go get it or across the sea so you've got to send somebody. He is as close as your next breath. Number four, are you avoiding God's influence in some areas of your life? You know, this morning was such a powerful sign that we all have, every one of us, every single one of us, we've all got stuff that's, that's, that's churning, but how amazing it is when we stop, take time, and listen. So much pain gets, gets exposed and dealt with when we stop and take time and listen. You know, when, when Jesus grieved in the garden, he grieved right along with the very heart of God, which grieves everything in us that separates us from intimacy. God is not a cosmic whack-a-mole banging down your sins. To the, it's the opposite. It's the absolute opposite. His desire is to raise you up in a healthy, intimate relationship with him. God is the one. God is the one in control, not me. Number five, is pursuit of the presence of God your one thing? That's what I want you to hear. There is nothing more important, no higher priority in your life than for you to know who God is, to know his character, to know his heart for you. There is nothing more important to your life than a biblical understanding of an omnipotent, omniscient God. So tonight you're going to have this opportunity to get intimate with God. And that's what we're going to practice. So who's going to come up? Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, this is what we're going to practice. We're just going to practice it tonight, okay? We're just going to practice it. So I've, I've already told you, nobody dies if you choose to get on your face before Jesus. Your friends will love you. You can just lose all self-consciousness. I am, I am a living example. You can, you, can, you can do 
you can worship Jesus in the, with the most abandon possible, and the people around you are fine with it.